This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Friday. Matt, Brett here today. Uh, we are go- we are a go for uh, Metza. We are yes. Okay. We are going to be uh, talking with Paul Metza coming up here in uh, about an hour or so. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to spend the full hour. Heck, I got about forty things I want to talk to him about New Orleans and music there because I guarantee he's going to be there. Uh, Jack Ruby, his song Jack Ruby, he's re-releasing it in, in conjunction with the 60th anniversary of Kennedy's assassination. So well, we're uh, going to talk to him. Uh, about that song as well as other things that will be a hoot i don't know will we get pasty talking we might get pasty talking because it is the best the best the best talk is the pasty talk uh 952-946-6205 uh we do have a confluence um the, basically this is going to be going on at a uh, public functionary uh, this is uh, 1500 Jackson Street Northeast, Studio 144, Minneapolis. This is a uh, cultured multiverse that they're going to be doing going on here. Um, Confluence has been dreamt up over the past year to be a creative, inclusive, and liberating space where everyone can feel connected, inspired, and seen. Every Confluence attendee will have access to creative workshops, panel discussions, cosplay contests, vendor marketplace, gaming area, cultural, visual art exhibition. Sounds like a hoot. It's going to be going on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, so, And that's once again at the Public Functionary uh, in uh, Minneapolis here on uh, 1500 Jackson Street. So we've got a pair of tickets to give away. Is this for tomorrow? Yeah, this is for both days you can get in. No, oh, you can get in for both days. I'll tell you what, let's give those away a little bit later on. Okay, we'll give those a little bit later on. and uh, But uh, you know, keep listening for your chance to win tickets to Confluence uh, this weekend in Minneapolis. Uh, Brett, okay, so uh, I put always put the invite out for you and Patrick. You're more than welcome over to my house for Thanksgiving. You guys <laughs> laugh in my face and no. <laughs> is a, it was a, so just solid, in, uh, endearing no. Uh, but you are, are you preparing this weekend? Are you hosting Thanksgiving going to someone else? No, else's I am not hosting. This is my parents' place. Okay. Usual, do you usual have to, deal with extended family there. Do you have to bring something? Uh, no, generally not. No, no. We have it all prepped out and we don't always go traditional. Uh, this year we're doing ribs again. We did that last year. You're doing ribs. Thanksgiving ribs. Yep. <laughs> you know, turkey's fine and all, but hey guys, uh, you ever think about ribs? Hey, they're delicious, though. I'm not complaining about having ribs on Thanksgiving. Well, okay, they're delicious, yes, but it is not, it is definitely uh, the most traditional. Uh, spaghetti, I know a lot of people that do Italian. That well, if you're not doing too. turkey, if you're not doing turkey, you don't want to do a bird of any sort. You don't want to flip that bird. <laughs> you go with spaghetti, I would, which I'm not against, too, especially with the Italian heritage around this place. And of course, my Italian you know, Italian heritage upbringing out in the East Coast. No, I have no problem with that. That's a that's a solid endeavor. Anytime, me, I'm a turkey man. I'm a turkey man. I like to stuff it, ladies. There you go. Uh, turkey. Well, no, actually, I don't because I don't want everyone getting sick. So I cook the stuffing separate. You know, I just because I don't. I mean, that does happen. And 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 also the problem I've had with this, and this is something with Terry Zeal, who will join us on Monday for his usual Thanksgiving visit to talk food from New Orleans too, which is just the weirdest thing in the world. 
Oh, wait, he's there now? Too. He's now in down in New Orleans. Oh, you guys it, missed each other by a week. Yes. Too bad. I would have loved to have gone around. It, well, my, If you I, got, went to New Orleans with him for food, oh, yeah. Did you hear? Um, okay, did you hear the story about my mom? She used to be on a board with Emeril Lagasse. Really? Yes. Oh, Emeril. And I'm like, I'm down there. And she goes, oh, yeah, you should maybe stop by one of his restaurants, see if he's around. He, he'd remember me. Why didn't you tell me this? <laughs> I mean, I, oh, I love that your mom just casually. Oh, I know Emerald. Yeah, He's my buddy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Emerald Lagasse. So apparently, I don't know who 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 uh, Terry knows down there. Terry Zillow will join us on Monday. But uh, you know, we've had Terry on every year, and he talks about you know, with stuffing the bird. I mean, one of the problems with it is even if you do cook it to the right temperature, which is great. I mean, you got to do that. Have a tendency of drying out the bird. And I do Terry's brining method, which I've done now for 15 years, and I'm never going back. I am never going back. Uh, that is just, it's like a prop turkey. You cut into it, juices flowing, delicious, unbelievable. So, but I, I now, because of that, I cook my, I cook my stuffing separate. I don't want, I don't want, and no one dies and my bird stays, is stays moist. Okay. I know that sounds like it's an OnlyFans page, but it's not. Okay. <laughs> no one dies and it stays moist. There you go. Matt McNeil on OnlyFans. I do have an OnlyFans page. If you can find it, good luck with That's that. That's how you sell your Thanksgiving guests. Yeah, there you go. It's a, subscription. It's, <laughs> it's a subscription price. Yeah. Today, I swung over to Target. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Um, I'm going to ask you this in case I've missed something. Target's still a Minnesota company, right? That they are. Minnesota-based. Founded here in Minnesota. Yeah, all sorts of... uh, Lots of places around. They got the place up on 610 there. They got uh, downtown buildings. They're still in Minneapolis, right? I asked this for a very specific reason. So when I was doing my grocery shopping, I screwed up. Uh, This year I'm doing a wild rice cranberry stuffing with a little sausage in there. Mwah! But I got the wrong. I got one bag of the right kind of wild rice, and I got one bag that's not the right kind of wild rice. So I go and I say, I'll just swing. On, I have to go to Target anyway. So I swing it into the Target. I go into the the rice aisle at Target, and I go look for wild rice. And I'm like, am I crazy? There's, I mean, I get it. It's not the most popular form of rice, but we are Minnesota. A lot of people in this state love wild rice. I love wild rice. I see it. It's this little bag. Don't even recognize the company. Like, what the heck is this? So I take a little peeky poo on the label. Guess what wild rice mecca targets wild rice comes from? Where does it come? It's not Minnesota, is it? Houston. Houston. Texas. Texas. You you sell wild rice from Houston, Texas? Turn in your Minnesota badge right now. That'd be like a Florida company selling oranges from Ohio. <laughs> mm, those delicious Ohio oranges, aren't they? They're mm, crunchy. Mm, who doesn't love them? Um, <laughs> um, seriously, the only wild rice the Target had was from freaking Houston. Not exactly a wild rice known area. Well, were they sold out of Minnesota stuff or wasn't that I any- don't know. They seem wow. to have a ton of this crap from Houston. Have you ever tried to go order wild rice in another state 
and been oh Wisconsin, I'll give a pass because Wisconsin gets it, but Minnesota, Wisconsin, maybe North Dakota. You go to go to Texas and order wild rice and know what you're about to get. You know what b- abomination is supposed to cross your plate? It's a peel off. It's not even freaking wild rice. It's like some specks of plastic or something. The stuff that sh- you know sheds off my headset. You know, it's that's mixed in with some regular rice. And they say wild rice. That's not wild rice, man. That's that's just some sort of abomination, man. That's not wild rice. In most places outside of the upper Midwest, you want to go get wild rice, you have to go to a really nice restaurant to get it. You can't just get it at 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 a regular, you know, at, you know, kind of a regular restaurant. We have food trucks that sell it in this town. Target, you've got some explaining to do. Because that's not cool, dude. You're screwing around with this. I can name like five wild rice companies in the state that do a pretty good job that you could be carrying easily on your shelves. Houston, Houston, Houston. Don't tell me it's Canadian wild rice. Don't you dare. Don't you, don't you dare tell me it's from Canada. Nothing is Canada. I like Canada. Canada's quite nice. But I mean, we got Minnesota growers here. I can go up. I know where to go right now. There's a woman that's got four Ziploc bags sitting on a for box. Have to clean them a little bit, but you know, still. Houston, that Houston, Texas, Astros, them. Does that doesn't snow down there? Does it snow down there? A little bit, maybe like once every month. No, no. Yeah, let's go. Let's let's go to let's go to Cuba for our wild rice. I mean, what what are you doing? Seriously, Target. This is I'm a little miffed at this because this is something you guys should have local guys producing in your own. You are a Minnesota. You. Uh, I know I might look like an idiot, <laughs> but I'm still a proud Minnesotan. You don't mess with our wild rice. There's some things you just don't mess with. You don't sell us Xander and tell us it's walleye. You don't you don't put Velveeta in a freaking Juicy Lucy, and you do not sell wild rice from Houston. What what, is, what even is that? I we, bet they sell it cheaper in Houston, though, oh, and I, that's probably all it is. Well, we, we, we saved a little on the margins by getting it from this leftover, Houston company. We were paving the road. This is some leftover stuff. Let's call it wild rice and we'll sell it. There you go. Wild rice. Dear God. Hey, I, I Target, if I may, if I may, how about working with some of the Native American tribes who are harvesting it and putting their product out there and helping out the Native American tribes of Minnesota? Huh? 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 Sounds like a good idea to me. Houston, Texas. <laughs> Where'd you get your sourdough bread, San Francisco? Jersey? Where? Wh- what are you doing? What are you doing? Anyway, I did. I came across another travesty of mankind, but this was more of a personal weeping in the fetal position in the corner of a Target store. Okay, did you know that the DVD section is pretty much no longer there at a, at a Target store? I, I I like those bins where you can usually find those movies that are like ten or fifteen years old because no one's releasing new well, DVDs anymore. Well, they're really they are, but they pretty much all go to Amazon, I guess. Yeah. So when I was born, I was born in a simpler time. Well. 
a worse time. I mean, let's be honest with it. I mean, it's like leaded gas, smoke, people smoked all over the place. Uh, back then, you know, women didn't have equal rights as men. <laughs> How things have changed. Uh, anyway. Anyway, when I was born, if I wanted to watch, oh, I don't know, Happy Days, and I missed an episode, you know what I had to do? I had to buy the TV guide and find the week, every week, every week, to find the week they were re-airing the episode I did. That might be summer. And so if I wanted to see an episode of a TV show, I had to wait months to catch up on it. Months. I remember the first time I saw a VHS tape player. It was like 78, 79. It was the size of a small car. It, it, it made sounds like an elevator from the 1910s. Cha-chunk, cha-chunk. You have to hear the noise when you try to rewind the thing, too. Like a leaf blower. Yeah. Like a leaf blower. Hey, who who wants to watch Grease? Let's put that VHS tape in the old player. Turn on the power. Open it up. Kukunk, kukunk. Put the tape in. Put it down. Start it up. Isn't this great? That was entertainment for us as a child. And we were amazed by that. I can't even tell you what life was like when cable television came through. Then all of a sudden, you could watch, you could just watch movie music videos. Oh my God. You could watch Bravo Network had the arts on it before Real Housewives. The Weather Channel had weather on it as opposed to Ice Road Fisherman. What is that? You know, lumberjack ice road fisherman on this week's episode. Oh, God, it looks like something's about to fall on somebody. I don't I don't need to see workplace lawsuits play out in my reality television. I don't. Before the History Channel, funny story, used to carry stuff about history as opposed to, you know, pawn shops. You know, it, it was just great fun. I remember the first time a friend of mine had cable that had like 60 channels. 60 channels. What are you watching? Oh, my gosh. They've got Australian Rules football on that ESPN. What is that? I have no idea. But they are beating the living daylights out of each other, man. That looks like fun. And now, and we, and we went from, and you bought the VCR disc, right? You bought those. And then you brought, you bought, DVDs when they came out and then you bought Blu-rays and you all got on and I got a whole case of them. I got a whole case of the damn things right at my oh, own. Oh, Blu-rays. Okay. Oh yeah. No, blu- DVDs and Blu-rays. Got them all. Had the kids because that was back when the kids and so back then when I didn't have 15 streaming services 10 years ago, five years ago, I, I basically, if you wanted to watch something, you either had to hope it was, well, I mean, if it was like Shawshank Redemption was on, you know, TNT and Eddie, it was like- Yo, well, that's on every that's day, yeah, yeah. It was easy enough to see that. But, I mean, if you wanted to see something else, you actually had to have the DVD. And we upgraded. I mean, we used to have all the Charlie Brown-like specials, the holiday specials, on VHS, and I upgraded them and got them to DVD. And now, here we are, Grandpa McNeil- because I've got all the DVDs, Dad. I'm ha- Grandpa. I have it now beamed right into my skull. Oh, I'm done watching it. In three minutes, they matrixed in the entire X Files series. And ah, uh, done. Really? 
Did you watch it? I didn't need to watch it. Eyes and watching are for old people. Like, oh, good. That's that's nice. Wait, like 10 more years, people won't have a clue what to do with DVDs if you give them one. There are more books. Okay, here's the thing which is crazy. Do you know what they've replaced the DVDs with? Albums! Record albums! Yeah, I know we're going, uh, yeah. We're... Because some idiot who thinks, oh, yeah, these are going to sound so much better. No, it didn't. It's a needle on vinyl. It, don't get me wrong. Collector's items, I got tons of them myself. Collector's items, love them. But I'm not, I'm listening to the DVD and you sold me on the damn iTunes and the, I, I could show up my iPod, but I don't even need that anymore because it's all on an iPhone because apparently this thing could basically launch a nuclear missile strike. That's, but no, you want to go, <laughs> you want to go back to, to albums, albums. You got rid of DVDs. You got rid of the blue, Blu-ray discs so you can go get albums. I mean, I'm, I'm one of these days. I mean, we could basically trick people into going back and buying eight track tapes. I was just going to go yeah. there. That's going to be next. <laughs> hey, look at these babies, bulky and hard to carry around. Who wants some? Got the I'll new, take forty. Got the new Taylor Swift eight track here. It's <laughs> two songs per side. Yeah, all right. four of them. Good luck. Those are such a quality sound. Those eight tracks. So speaking of making sound, how about the sound when you you push the track? Clunk clunk. <laughs> Clunk. <laughs> oh God, it is wild living in this in my ge- my generation and as as going from a time when you had to you literally grabbed the TV guide, whether that was the one they used to carry in the Star Tribune, or you went and bought the TV guide and the, and you circle the day. Okay, here's that episode of of Laverne and Shirley I missed. I'm gonna I'm gonna catch it here. Mork and Mindy don't want to miss that one. That's gonna be a hoot. Middle of summer, so I'm going to be in on a summer night watching Mork and Mindy because that's what you did if you missed an episode. If you And God God help you if you missed an episode and everybody was talking about it the next day because it was months, months before you would see it again. Now it's like, oh, it's right here on YouTube. Yeah, Someone's already s- stolen it from in Greenland and posted it in 15 different languages. There you go. Really? Maybe I was a little on edge because my wild rice came from Houston. Actually, I did not buy that wild rice. Why? Because I have some decency as a Minnesotan. I have decency and freaking integrity that I'm not buying wild rice from Houston freaking Texas. So maybe I was a little on edge when I got there, but come on, I was in the fetal position. Like, you got to be kidding me. It's This is too much. I can't, I can't keep up with it all anymore. Did you end up going to another store to find your Minnesota wild rice or are you? No, I think I'm going to try to make do. I mean, I think I was so scarred by that experience target. (laughs) So scarred by that experience. ruined wild rice from you now. now Well, no, it hasn't ruled what, what, it's, what are you doing target? I mean, are you having a hard time finding wild rice distributors in Minnesota? Like I said, there's a woman up there with some Ziploc bags. She needs to put some labels on it, but you'll be fine, man. Also, I imagine Ziploc will have some issues with that. But needless to say, we, we, can, we can figure that out. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I'll go. I think I'll go with this, the other the other kind of wild rice, which I didn't want. I'll, I'll I'll do some sort of amalgamation here and make it work. But needless to say, I am not happy.
Oh, betrayal and age. The two evil vixens I dance with today. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Even I don't even know where the hell I'm going with this at this point. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM nine fifty. Raising one brow, chiming in on social media. It's telling you can go to any holiday station store on the North Shore in Minnesota growing native harvest uh, native harvested wild rice is available everywhere. Yeah, but not at Target because they decided they want to go to Houston, freaking Texas for their wild rice. I, I'm at a loss for words on that. I mean, how it's like you go out of your way to make it harder for yourself. There's like, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes away. There's probably some guy selling it. You know, yeah, no, let's not go there. I got an idea. How about this? Texas. No. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Jan is in Minneapolis. Where to chime in? Welcome on in, Jan. Hi, Matt. I love your show, first of all. Thank you. Um, I'm 86. I'm native, and I just quit harvesting rice about 10 years ago. Okay. And I just wanted to clue you in. If next time you go up north around... Uh, um, Cass, um, excuse me, uh, Walker. Okay. Right on the corner, right on the corner, across from the casino, you can get real native wild rice from the Leech Lake Band for eleven dollars a pound. Eleven bucks a pound. All right. Yep. And the, the stuff that you're getting in the store, that black rice, I wouldn't have it in my home. Yeah. Uh, it's inedible, really. Um, so that's just a, just a little thing you might want to pick up next time you go up. Hey, can we tell this to Target? I mean, it's at $11 a pound. That's a pretty good thing. Target could go up there and get a few of those bags and put them on their shelves, help out the Native American nope. community, and have good rice yeah. there. I know it. And, you know, they, tar- they uh, that black stuff, which is like eating rabbit pellets, <laughs> is just horrible. And it's expensive, you know. Um, it's all it's cult- uh, cultivated is what it is. Yes. Anytime you see cultivated on the package, don't buy it. I found there's a place up in Orr, um that uh, uh, near the Net Lake Indian Reservation that they they you can go up there and they have the the, the good stuff and you can buy it there. Exactly. For a good, yeah, it, that's what it, you, that's it, what you need to do. Exactly, exactly. Well, have a nice Thanksgiving. I just love your show. Jim, you know the, what? I listen to you. You make me belly laugh most of the time. I just love you. Thank you very much. I appreciate okay, that. Okay, you that, bet. That's, that's, have a nice holiday. Bye you bye. too. Bye bye. Now I'm smiling. Now I'm smiling. But back to you, Target. <laughs> You've made a mortal enemy today, Target. Actually, no, but I I still will do one of your commercials where I'll dance with like a jar, a, a bottle of head and shoulder shampoo. I'll do that. Look at me. I'm there shopping. Saran wrap. Oh, here we go. I'll do it. I'll do it. But I'll tell you what. I will do it for free. Target, here's the deal. I know I truly am exaggerating the term talent here. But I will be your talent in a commercial. Dancing with a bag of Minnesota-grown, native-harvested wild rice that you sell on your shelves. And if you do, I'll tell you, I mean, I'll do it for free. I'll do it for free. Just get that Houston crap off the shelf. I I, I want to say... 
<laughs> I want to tell the people of Texas that I, uh, you know, I, I mean no ill will, but I can't do that in just single syllable words. Uh, no, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Sorry. I like messing with Texas. I do. I sure do. Try that in a small town. Uh, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's see if I actually get to a show today. I mean, I mean, I, maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Uh, once again, Metza coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. I imagine he'll have some words about wild rice, too. Uh, when, uh, we could end up. Paul and I could end up talking for the entire hour about the, the injustices of of having Houston-based wild rice. In I don't think Paul's buying wild rice from Houston. I don't think so. I don't think. Well, he's in Duluth. I mean, it's it's not hard to find in Duluth. Apparently, it's hard, hard to find down here. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. So uh, we, uh, first of all, I want to thank our, our good friends uh, in uh, Native Roots Radio, I'm Awake. Uh, it's on after our show here in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, if I can give a, a nice little shout out to the Native American Community Development Institute, uh, NACTI, they are helping out with this as well. Confluence is going on this weekend in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, at the public functionary in 1500 Jackson Street Northeast. This is, um, you, know, it's, you know, it's basically centered on contact, uh, content for, uh, by and for black people, indigenous people, and people of color. Uh, it is a two-day celebration of art, sci-fi, futurisms, and fantasy. Confluence has been dreamt over the past year to be a creative, inclusive, and liberating space where everyone can feel connected, inspired, and seen. Every Confluence attendee will have access to creative workshops, panel discussions, cosplay contests. This is a pair of tickets for the weekend. This is a pair of tickets for the weekend. Ooh, ah, for both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, let's give away a pair of tickets right now. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, Brett, caller number five. Caller number five, you're going to win yourself a pair of tickets to go to Confluence this weekend uh, in uh, Minneapolis on Jackson Street Northeast. Uh, once again, and it, it, it just sounds fantastic. Two-day celebration of art, sci-fi, futurisms, and fantasy. And it's centered on content for black people, indigenous people, and people of color. Confluence this weekend in Minneapolis, a pair of tickets to caller number 5, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. And thank you very much to uh, NACDI as well as also Native Roots Radio. I am awake. Uh, we sure do appreciate the help on this. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, so in case you you can remember, because uh, this was before I went to... Uh, um, New Orleans uh, there. I, I, we, of course, we're here for the election results on that Wednesday. And, uh, you know, Minnesota Parents Alliance went out there and uh, really tried hard to win a whole bunch of school board seats because they wanted to spend a message. Uh, and we've talked about that this is a group that seemed to be associated with some extreme far-right groups out there. And so it was, yeah, uh, kind of one of those things where we were a little bit um, I was a little bit, you know, a little concerned about it. Uh, the good news is they didn't do that well, but they had a pep rally. I don't know that that would be the right term. Uh, the other day, and Minnesota Reformer is covering the action. 
The Minnesota Parents Alliance and its conservative allies spent thousands on school board races this year, predicting that their candidates who promoted parental rights would win big among suburbanites. That's a much. Uh, Voters last week rejected the majority of the group's candidates, electing only 11 out of 44. That would be 25%. That would be not a lot. And if you minus Hastings and uh, Anoka Hennepin, you pretty much over on most of the other ones. I mean, one or two here or there, but not many. And in most of those cases, it was like in the Hopkins race, there was only four candidates and there were four open seats. So did you really win that one or did you just not lose that one? I think that's the term we should use. You didn't lose. Uh, They elected only 11 out of 44 that MPA endorsed despite the losses. MPA did score victories in the state's largest school district, Noka Hennepin, and in Hastings with three of the four candidates gaining seats for the seven-member school board. To which, you know, you know, may God have mercy on your soul in Hastings. MPA and its supporters met in Golden Valley Wednesday to absorb their election wins and losses and discuss, discuss what's next. The group is playing the long game. It sounds like a football coach who's first game of the season. They just got run off the fields, sixty to zero. Like, you know what? Yeah, that, and, and don't pay attention to that score. Uh, you know, we're looking at the long game here, and uh, we're hoping that we can get that down to maybe uh, only a forty-point loss in the next game. Uh, is he? Is he improvement? That's a good analogy of the coach speak in there. I'm guessing we're getting a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Improve in the future and get better every day. Well, we got bounced in four games, but uh, the first round here. But you know what? We're playing the long game here. You know, and you know, in 20 years, maybe we'll make it to the second round. Welcome to Minnesota Sports. All right. Uh, the group is playing the long game, said Christine Truian, executive director of the Minnesota Parents Alliance. We're in this for the long haul. Okay. Truian told a crowd of about 100, 100 whole people. All right. Um, <laughs> time for Matt's math corner. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, 100, I'll have to do it this way, 100 divided by, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the population of Minneapolis-St. Paul is 3.7 million, correct? It's yeah, like the that. metro is about that. And three seven zero 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 equals, ooh, wow. <laughs> That's a lot of zeros. Uh, <laughs> that means the uh, MPA got a huge whopping percentage of the population to show up for their long game speech of uh Point zero zero two percent. Now that's not like one percent. No, it's zero zero two. I Means basically, uh, you got close to like two thousandths of uh, of the population. You're speaking for the masses there. <laughs> that's not a lot of people. A hundred people is not a lot of people. And considering what forty or so were your forty four were your 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 candidates, I mean we're down to less than like fifty six at that point. We're in this for the long haul. He, she told a whopping crowd in the metro area of one hundred total people at the Golden Valley Golf Club. The schools didn't not get the, like this overnight. It's going to take more than one election cycle to get it back. But the enormous amount of progress we've seen in the 18 months that we've been doing this work should really give everybody a lot of cause for hope. So once again, once again, you 
you targeted very specific school districts. You still only came up with the 25% you know, victory rate. Your big high-five party afterwards brought a total of 100 people in a metro area of 3.7 million, and you got a lot of reasons to hope. Okay. All right. That, that, is, that is trying to turn that frown upside down right there. There is one dark note here. The MPA back Cairns now have a 5-2 majority of the Hastings School Board, according to the group. Another, like, unlike other right-leaning education advocacy groups like Moms for Liberty, who love that Hitler speech stuff. Oh, gosh, they, they stand by it. MPA has not highlighted culture war issues like opposing rights for trans children or teaching students the role of race and white supremacy in America history. Um, instead, MPA says its priority is strengthen parent-teacher relationships and improve academic achievement. So once again, I want, I want to stop. First of all, this group was associated with these other groups. As a matter of fact, they're on the MPA page. There was a link to Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty, uh, one of their chapters quoted Hitler in 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 their one of their newsletters, and when they were got caught on it, stood by it. That's all you need, because I can tell you right now, if if yeah, I was associated with someone, and I discovered, oh, they're spewing Hitler talk. We're done. You know, no, I, I'm sure not going to put you on my website. Do I have a website? I, well, I got the station website, am950radio.com. Well, not going to happen. Also, um, I want to make sure I point out something here because I've had four. Or excuse me, four, three kids. Don't want to talk about my mysterious fourth child I've got running around the metro area. No, I've got three kids. And for the last 20 years, I've had my kids in the school district. I have been able to communicate with every single teacher all the time. All the time. And I've had no problem communicating with these teachers they are more than eager to answer any questions about you know any assignments any homework any books they're reading any any classroom activity you can ask and they will answer and if you ever say you know what i don't know if i'm comfortable with that they'll say no problem we'll find something else for you so i th- this this there is this nefarious mentality to the entire argument is that they want to strengthen parent-teacher relationships because I've, I'll say from my experience, my parent-teacher relationships I've had have been exceptional. We haven't had any problem whatsoever. And you basically, when it comes to improving academic achievement, it comes down to one thing. There, And I, and I talked about this a little bit earlier. I remember when People, remember a few years back, like 10, 15 years ago, there was this big push to try to get get schools to teach Christianity and, and, and allow Bible readings and all these things in actual classrooms. And the reason why is because lazy butts couldn't get off their couch on a Sunday morning because I got the pregame to the pregame to the pregame to watch, then the pregame to the pregame, then the pregame, then the game, then the second game, then the highlights from the first two games, and then I got to watch the evening game. I don't have time to take my kids to school, to church. You know what I'll do? I'll have the school teach them. Because I've said this, and I I don't know if you guys remember this, but I remember I was talking about this on the air. My, My family has been Christian. We were Catholic for a long time. We are now going to a Lutheran church. We like it a lot. Hello, Westwood. And we enjoy it quite a bit. Our kids, you can, pretty much every church, you can take your kids to church pretty much every day. 
every day. If you want to have your kids involved in church, you can do that pretty much every day. That's your right. So if you're saying to yourself, my kids aren't getting enough church, that's not the school's responsibility to make sure your kids get more church. That's you getting off your butt and just take them to a church. Knock yourself out. That's freedom of religion. You can do that. Oh, that's right. You don't want to be inconvenienced. You want other people to teach what you should be teaching your kid in your own little realm. Uh, I see. Well, this kind of goes back to this. Academic achievement. Uh, how much time are, you know, if, if the parents are, and I want to make sure I, 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 this is not a slight. There's a lot of parents who are out there working their cabooses off third and fourth jobs that are single parents that have a hard time that it, it's difficult to be able to get there and make sure the kids are doing the homework. I can understand that you try to do the best you can. There are a lot of schools that offer auxiliary programs. There are private companies that offer, you know, studying aids for math and science and English and stuff like that. There's a lot of things that are out there. There's a lot of things you can get online that you can help out with that. So there are things out there to improve academic achievement. My kids pretty much all got A's in school. And the reason why is we would sit down and we would say, we talk every day. How did school go? What are you learning? If you need help with something, boom, I'm great at helping my kids with math and with history. My wife is very good at helping them with, with, uh, the English and, 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 you know, just man time management skills. We, we work together with our kids and we create, you know, we help them get academic success. That's what you do. That's not something that's missing. That's just something what, what, what there are a lot of people out there that want this kid to go to school and like the matrix, get plugged in and basically get all the math knowledge and come home. And then they don't have to worry about parenting at night, making sure the kid gets the homework done, helping the kid out if they need it. And you see is that's the problem. Right now, when I hear people say they want to strengthen parent teacher relationships, well, you clearly are not going to Minnesota public schools because pretty much every teacher I know, every, my kids have had, have been open and more than willing to talk with us all the way from kindergarten up to high school. They're more than willing to talk with us and help us out if we have any questions. And as far as improving academic achievement, well, is that what are you doing as a parent right now on your own to do that? So when I hear these words, I don't give it a lot of credence because those things already exist. What, I, what, what you've got is you've got a group who basically, from some of the comments I saw, seems to really hate the teachers union. And so has created this villain of the teachers union that doesn't really exist. Not because they, they, there's, a, there's, a, there's a suffering within, within the, the teachers union that's, that's applied to the kids, but because they just don't like unions. And this is, you know, people who they take a look at that, that education budget that's put aside and look at all the money that's in there. It's like, how do we get that away from the, from the public schools and get that into private people's pockets? That's what I think a lot of this stuff is. And it should be noted, there have been some people discussing that sounds like, and I'm not sure about this with the MPA, that there's, 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 there's people that have been behind this, that there's some speculation that the MPA was found, funded by these people because they want these people to basically bring these private companies in to offer services at their schools, which I think we should be very cautious about because that should not be how it happens. You shouldn't be able to basically bankroll a bunch of school board members if this is the case, if this is the case. 
you shouldn't be able to bankroll a bunch of school board members and basically get them to basically say, okay, we need to pri- you know, bring in this private company to do this stuff. I don't think that that's the, the point of public education. School board victories uh, could also prime candidates for bigger races, Truen said. She would not be surprised if some of the MPA's newly elected school board candidates ran for state office in the future. Good luck with that. Uh, the <laughs> Sure. The MPA, the Center for the American Experience, and the Education Advocacy Group Opportunity for All Kids hosted the meeting. A hundred total people, by the way, reminder. One hundred. One zero zero. Uh, they painted a bleak picture of Minnesota's education center through a chart-filled presentation. <laughs> da, 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 da. Was it playing like Conan the Barbarian music <laughs> the entire time? Student progress in Minnesota has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. The latest state data show only about a half of Minnesota's public school students are meeting or exceeding grade level standards in reading and math. State officials say the scores indicate students are still recovering from pandemic learning loss. This is not unique to Minnesota. This is unique everywhere. This was what caught us off guard. As a matter of fact, my daughter this week had a remote learning day. They actually had one this. And she says, I don't know why they do this. I said, they're doing this so they never get caught off guard again. They're, they're doing this because they, 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 they know that, well, first of all, just there's a practicality. You never have a snow day again in Minnesota because you can always, if there's a snow day, you can just go to a remote learning day. And that kind of takes care of things. But on top of it, they don't want to get caught off guard by a pandemic again. So this is something that's there. And a lot of this, once again, I, I think that it's it's trying to get these kids back up and running. I think a lot of this would be mental health advocacy within these schools for the kids, which is something that is being addressed right now. But for these conservative groups, the key culprits are the state education system and the teachers union education Minnesota. Aha! All 100 of you in a city of 3.7 million. Wow. <laughs> Maybe we should see if Target has a uh, special running around on Reynolds wrap. You know, that aluminum foil. You know, I just did. You know, you might need a, a few rolls of that. Anyway, just just saying. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. I'll come back to scorn and bitterness in Minnesota when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show, should be mentioned that one of the things that no Republican likes to talk about is how Tim Pawlenty got rid of the Minnesota miracle, and which we we had great funding for our schools for decades. And he's like, we don't need to do this anymore. Boom, got the Republicans go, yeah, we don't need to do this anymore. And thanks God for the Democrats, because this earliest year, the Minnesota legislature passed $2.3 billion in new spending for Minnesota schools, much of which will go towards general education funding formula and directly to districts. So, you know, we kind of fixed the problems that were being created there. I will also say this. I don't think that there's a, you know, there. I don't think there's a school district that got through the pandemic unscathed. And I think the problem is, is, and I saw it. I saw it during the pandemic. And so we, and we, I talked to neighbors, you know, from a distance, especially in 2000 and early 2021, uh, 2020 and 2021, where, where I talked to them. And it's like, how are you doing it? And they're like, well, my kid goes downstairs and is on their phone all day. And I'm like, you know, are you helping them? Are you giving them guidance? Are you making them get off the, the chats? And, you know, it was kind of, it, it kind of hit hard. And so 
Yeah, I you know it's kind of one of those things they need to get through. And once again, I think part of the the good news is that there is mental health funding that's coming through for kids in Minnesota. But you know, it's we got a lot of work to do here. Devin Foley, executive director of the group Opportunity for All Kids, was critical of the state's public education and advocated for vouchers or public dollars being spent to send kids to private schools. By the way, I want to make sure I, the the private school vouchers. Someone brought this up. Brought up four states. Four states that have public school vouchers right now are private school vouchers for public school kids. In those four states, the best ratio was that the the kids that were taking advantage of the the, the vouchers for private schools that were supposedly for public school kids, 62% of the vouchers went to kids who had never once gone to a public school ever. That was the best. The worst was, I think it was 82% in New Hampshire, 82% of the private school vouchers went to kids who never once ever spent a day in public school. Otherwise known as these voucher programs are only ways for the taxpayers to pay for wealthy people's kids to go to private school. It's garbage. I will find that. I will post that later tonight after the show. Going to Devin Foley, we can either look as we fund the public education or fund the education of the public, Foley said Wednesday. Great. He also criticized Education Minnesota, arguing the teachers' union has failed students. <laughs> you know, once again, can I tell you one of the things I love about conservatives, especially rural school districts where there's like, teachers are evil, teachers are horrible. And then the school year starts and you're like, why can't we find enough teachers to teach our kids? It's, why why, are, why is the cash size exploding? Why are these? Well, have you tried being nice? Have you tried being nice to the teachers? Because in the school districts where the people are nice to the teachers, tons of teachers. teachers want, there's a waiting list of teachers wanting to get into those school districts. So... Uh, the, um, at the end of the day, there's one group that's firmly in control of the education top to bottom. That's education, Minnesota. Well, frankly, I trust education, Minnesota. It's a lot of good, hardworking teachers there that have the kids best interests at heart. So go team, go education, Minnesota, Denise Spreck, president of education, Minnesota, a statement criticized the groups and said their views are unpopular with Minnesotans. Nearly every Minnesotan wants the freedom to send their children to safe, effective public schools that welcomes all students, no matter what they look like, where they live or who they love. Spreck said that's why voters on November 7th ignore the scare stories and the conspiracies of anti-union groups and their millionaire funders and overwhelmingly elected candidates endorsed by local unions of educators, which they did. The state's teachers' union has long been an ally of the DFL candidates of the state DFL party. But I will make this argument. They are doing a good job. Now, once again, I don't have much time for the mentality of ransack the public school system for vouchers. I don't have much time for people that bellyache about teachers need to bow to our will when they clearly have not even talked to a teacher recently because teachers are more than willing to work with you and your kid to make sure you get the education that's not only best for your kid, but the parents are most comfortable with. But if I can also throw in this last little point, I don't have a lot of faith in people that want to talk about quality of education who do not want to do a damn thing about the gun slaughters that happen in our public education system. That would be a really good way to make sure kids get a better education is that they're not getting shot when they go to school. But heaven forbid we deal with that. No, we have to make sure apparently wealthy people can get their private school paid for for free via the taxpayers. Metza, when we do return.
Hour number two of the show here on your Friday. Good to have you with us today. Matt and Brett here today. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. Yeah, this is a no-brainer. I'm bringing Paul Metza back onto the show. Uh, Eight-time Minnesota Music Award-winning songwriter, musician, author, radio host, and cultural historian Paul Metza is re-releasing his song Jack Ruby in conjunction with the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination. He's also releasing the video of Jack Ruby in conjunction with producer John McCallie. He's going to join us to talk about that eventually, but we're just going to find out and we'll just, it's going to be two Minnesotans talking about stuff. Hi, Paul. How are you today? Do we have Paul there? Good, man. How are you? There you go. There he is. I'm doing well. Yeah, uh, I'm here. All right. You're, are I you, can hear you. Can you? Yeah. Okay. Are you, you're up in Duluth right now, right? I am. Yeah, I'm speaking to you from the west end of Duluth, and it's a little overcast, but a gorgeous day. It's probably mid-40s. Might have time after the interview to take the dog to the dog park. Well, there you go. The, the, the exciting life of your of, of of the your 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 Duluth <laughs> resident there thing. I'm glad you're here. I'm actually very glad you're here for this reason. You helped me out greatly with something. I uh, I was went down to New Orleans, and you not only hooked me up with a friend of yours, Molly, who set me in the right direction with some ideas about things we could do uh, that night. But I also I wanted to chat with you because I got down to Preservation Hall. And I got in there, and we watched a seven-piece jazz band play six songs. It was the best jazz concert I ever heard. Right. Shannon Powell, the great legendary jazz drummer, was there. But even more impressive was Charlie Gabriel, the 91-year-old sax aficionado, who played, who sat in with the band, played with them, did not miss a note. And get, treated us to one of the greatest jazz moments I'll ever have in my entire wow. life. Wow! So, it, it, how how often have you gone down? How often have you gone down to New Orleans? And, when, and, and when was the last time you were down there? I I was just uh, down there once. It was a really fascinating trip. First of all, it was Missy Bowen, not Molly. Oh, sorry, uh, I'm sorry. I'm wife sorry. Missy. Of the great New Orleans guitar player. That's all right. And she's married to Camille Baudouin, who's the uh, longtime guitar player with the New Orleans band, uh, The Radiators. And I'm so glad she hooked you up. I was down there in around 1999 or 2000. I had a very good friend of mine named Ken Jacob. He was the um, first sound man for Cats from the Stars in the early 80s. His father was the head of hematology at the University of Minnesota. And that year, he was president of the International Association of Hematologists. Every year, that organization would have a yearly get-together. If it was going to be in Italy, they would hang. If it was going to be in Japan, they had uh, um, Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, this year it was going to be in New Orleans, and he called me up and he said, "Well, who should I get to play?" I said, "Well, you got to get the world's greatest uh, band of all time and my favorite, the Neville Brothers." So the Neville Brothers played. I was the MC. It was at the um, Mardi Gras World where they make all the floats. Yeah, and it was catered by Paul Prudhomme. It couldn't have been a more New Orleans experience. Well, and and that that's incredible because I mean I mean the. 
The Neville brothers, they are, one of the things that's clear down there, and I mean, obviously they were fantastic. They are known nationally. They are, it's like Prince up here. They are so, you know, intertwined with the city itself. You can't separate the two of them. And, and you know, and so you, that is, it's about it. I mean, at Mardi Gras World, you could not roll dice and get more New Orleans. The, uh, let me ask you, the, when you, I go down there, one of the things that was interesting, and, and once again, you're right, Missy, thank you very much to Missy. Uh, I, I said Molly earlier, but that was my mistake. Missy, who helped us out, and she gave us some great advice, sent us over to Tipitina's uh, in New Orleans, outside of the, the tourist area. And I caught a fantastic band called Rory Danger and the Danger Dangers, which is was phenomenal. They were phenomenal. And, and you know, let me ask you what you think. Minneapolis, I think, is a great music town. New Orleans is a great music town. If you, With your experience, what do you think makes a town a great music town? It the thing about New Orleans, uh, if you would compare it to Minneapolis, it has really uh, deeper roots. It goes back, you know, several hundred years, and has that beautiful mix of uh, a Creole, uh, French descendants. It's right, uh, you know, uh, the the Delta blues. It is such a, a mixing pot of uh what became american music and of course you know you had the uh, you know the uh birthplace of rock and roll down there with uh uh fats domino and, and the rest so it's just but what i love about new orleans and and what i love about minneapolis matt is it is open to all styles of music uh you can go down to walk into five clubs in New Orleans or five clubs in Minneapolis here, five different types of music. I th also think the one thing we have in common is the great Mississippi River. Now, uh, Louis Armstrong used to come up on riverboats and get as far as St. Paul. So a lot of those musicians uh, would travel up and down the Mississippi. And it was really where a lot of the uh, that music uh came from one town to another and and the uh, beautiful cross-pollination uh, of all those musics is, is what really the bedrock of american music you know you mentioned armstrong i went down to the armstrong park down there and you mentioned it right across the street in a building which doesn't look like anything is a sign for jnm recording studio this was uh you know back in the early days of rock and roll uh, Fats Domino, Little Richard, uh, Professor Longhair—they uh, all recorded there. It's a—it was for many years a laundromat, and it kind of is disheveled now. But I went in there just because they have the area where the recording happened. I wanted—I wanted to just go see it because that it—you know—as it, you said, it's—it's it's an eclectic music scene, but it has so many. New Orleans is amazing because it has so many benchmarks. That are in there. The beginning of jazz, you know, the, the the beginning of rock and roll, you know, the continuation of jazz. The fact that it's it's also produced some of this great southern rock. I mean, it is it really is an incredible place considering it's a city that's probably half the size of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah, it's uh, well, world renowned, of course, but it's just you can feel it if when you get in a certain neighborhoods down there, you can feel the music. I mean, you'll eventually be able to hear it. It doesn't take long to do that, but you could just kind of feel it, the, the way the people interact. Uh, you know, I had nothing but great experience meeting bartenders and people on the street, and I went to record stores, and uh, it, it just had a really magnanimous approach 
to anyone that was visiting. And uh, I'd love to spend more time there. Let me ask you, Matt, did you get, uh, were you able to find some good things to eat down there? <laughs> yes, I did. Well, because there's, there's, the, there's the things which are the standard, for, like the yeah. muffaletta sandwich from the Central Grocer, uh, the beignets from Cafe Du Monde. You go and do those. But I came across uh, charbroiled oysters over at the Royal House. Unbelievable. And, um, you know, as well as uh, also the, the po'boys and the gumbo, the jambalaya, got some blackened catfish. I, I, you know, it just was all amazing down there. And the, th- the thing which is, you know, another thing about this city, which is amazing. I went out to the New Orleans Museum of Art. I went out there. They have a, a cafeteria. I had a fried chicken banh mi chicken sandwich out there, which was also just sensational. You cannot, in, in a city like that, where there's that standard, I mean, sure, I guess you get out on Bourbon Street, you kind of get the drunk food that's out there, but overall, you can't have bad food in that town, and it shows because everywhere I went, it was the food was just amazing. Yeah, well, that what a uh, wonderful trip was. Was it just something you decided to do for you and your wife to go down on vacation, or did you have? business down there what'd you do no we it was it was it was basically an anniversary trip we get we got married in may but we just you know we kind of did it in november and we also my wife came up with the idea since i'm a veteran of the army i went down to the world war ii museum which is down there and if you if you get the chance to go to that holy gosh was that just an amazing museum could be one of the greatest museums i've ever been to uh, I spent four and a half hours in there. I didn't even really see, I, I probably say a little more than half of it at four wow. and a half hours. It really was amazing. Um, I, I, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really grateful I got there. But yeah, we, we went down there. It's funny, for a guy that doesn't drink, to go to New Orleans is an interesting thing <laughs> because it is kind of such geared on it. But, you, you know, you can fall in love with <laughs> the alcohol aside, you can fall in love with that Southern culture, the music, the food. Uh, the art, dear gosh, everywhere you look is just, it's its a photo ready to be taken. It, it really is amazing. And so, yeah, no, I, I love going there. And there are great music towns in this country. Chicago is a great music town. I, I, you know, I mean, obviously New York is a great music town. New Orleans is just stunning because once again, it's, it's, it, for a city that's got all that it's got, it it seems that it, you'd think it'd be a much larger city and it's just not. It's just, you know, about, like I said, half the size of the Twin Cities. And, and it also has a lot of the great old architecture. They yeah. haven't been like a lot of other cities where the building's 100 years old, let's tear it down. So you've got visually, it's it's a wonderful, uh, it's just a wonderful place to just look around and see all the old buildings and the churches. And uh, did, you, did you get to Congo Square? Yes, I did. That's up in Armstrong Park because, and for, for, for people that don't know, Congo Square is an area that at one point, um, that, that was kind of where, uh, 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 that when the city had slaves, the slaves would go up there. It's kind of north of the French Quarter. They'd go up there and they'd hang out and they'd get together. Uh, there'd be music and, and, and activity there. And eventually it became known for uh, kind of as a place for voodoo. But there's one of the things that was interesting, a lot of people were trying to correct that when I was down there. They were talking about like the voodoo queen of New Orleans, that she was actually a devout Catholic and that this was more, they feel as if it was more that when people got sick down there and people got sick all the time because it was the tropics. 
when people got sick, they'd sometimes turn to kind of more traditional medicines from the African cultures. And when that didn't work, there was a tendency to blame the people that were trying to heal them as being, you know, evil and voodoo and all these things. And so they're trying to clean a lot of that imagery up necessarily as far as that goes. Doesn't mean there isn't voodoo. Doesn't mean there isn't some elements to that. But at the same time, it was, Congo Square was when when I learned about that, I said we got to make sure I stop by there because that's that's kind of an amazing piece of history too. Well, it's the other interesting thing about Congo Square when the uh, slaves would gather there. Of course, uh, there was so much percussion and so many you know hand instruments playing percussion that what I've heard that a lot of times uh, slaves and then tribes would communicate with different drum patterns. And that's uh, when when my band Cats and the Stars started to play in Minneapolis quite a bit in the early 80s. There was a fellow named Mike Starnes who worked for City Pages who spent a lot of time in New Orleans. So he'd bring back all these tapes of the Neville Brothers mm -hmm. and the Meters. And uh, so my band, we were probably one of the first bands along with Willie and the Bumblebees that were playing a lot of those New Orleans rhythms. And that's probably the one thing New Orleans owns is just the is the polyrhythms, you know, magic and uh, and the voodoo of the rhythms. Oh well, and it's it's music that you know it's it it can't be taught. It's something you have to learn through time. And, and, and I think that that is, you know, there are so many people there that are dedicated to music 24-7, 365. I think that that's one of those things that can happen. I would love to see something more like that up here. I mean, I, like I said, I think Minneapolis has got a great music history. You've got going from Dylan to Prince. You know, you've got a lot of, you know, the, the replacements. You've got, you know, uh, uh, Lizzo. You've got a lot of things that happen here. But you got great blues, you got great you know, jazz, you got great you know country western. You have all the elements here. I, I wish we could you know. Granted, we're not in a warm enough climate where we can have people walking up on the street and have music there twenty you know all year long. But I, I would love to see them do more here because there is something that's addictive to a city that you go in and everywhere you turn, there's music playing. Yeah, and it's uh, it's really it's really embedded in their culture, like you said. It, I mean, it happens with with kids down there. There's, uh, uh, you, you know, you look at the uh, the Neville brothers, all those uh, Cyril Neville, Aaron Neville, Art Neville. It it all came from the same family, and all of their kids are still playing. Um, so it's just it's not only a part of the musical tradition; it's part of the uh, the, the just the family tradition, and uh, it's it's kind of what makes that town so special. I've been honored. I opened up for the Neville Brothers uh, at the Guthrie Theater. Wow! And uh, wow! Talk about uh, daunting task. Uh, White solo guitar player opening up for the greatest black band of our time, <laughs> and uh, but it went well. They were all really nice, and I've seen the Nevilles several times over the years. I also did a show years ago with Sonny Earl. I'll put in a little plug here, but well, I'm thinking Sonny Earl and I will be doing our 25th anniversary at the Dakota Jazz Club on December 20th, and uh, Sonny and I played a great gig years ago at. Uh, Jackpot Junction, one of the casinos in southwestern Minnesota. Wonderful gig. It, Bobby Blue Bland, uh, Dr. John, Maria Muldor, Buddy Guy, and Johnny Lang. And then uh, we played, it was a long, 
gig, I kind of, Famous Dave, who I was working for at the time, was doing the catering. So we played between all the acts. It turned out to be about six-hour gig, all said and done, uh, from us. But I've been very fortunate to hear a lot of those uh, New Orleans musicians and and uh, play with them. There's a really good, there's some other, there was a guy, he passed away named John Mooney, who I suggest uh, people look into. Another guy named Willie DeVille, who made his name in New York City, but spent a lot of time in New Orleans. You can't really go wrong with a New Orleans musician. Maria Mulder, Midnight at the Oasis, you were playing with her? Yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, I uh, played, and I had the pleasure of booking her uh, a couple times when I was the music director at Famous Dave's. And, uh, and Midnight at the Oasis, I like to add, has the greatest recorded guitar solo of all time uh, by a fellow Canadian guy named Amos Garrett. Uh, you know, I can listen to that tune and just wait for that guitar solo. I remember when I first heard it, when it came on in 73 or 74, it still, to this day, is one of the greatest guitar solos ever. Well, I remember Maria Mulder when she was with Jim Queskin in the Jug Band uh, yeah. out of San Francisco, and that was an amazing group. Those guys were phenomenal. Yeah, well, actually, uh, Jim Queskin, those guys came out of uh, Boston, but Maria Mulder was an actual, she grew up, uh, her name was Maria D'Amato. She grew up in Greenwich Village. And so she was, uh, I got to know her. I did an interview with her on the Wall of Power Radio Hour years ago. I think we were celebrating Bob Dylan's 75th birthday. And Maria told me a great story. She got to know Bob when he first came to New York City. And then Bob used to hitchhike up and play in Boston. So she knew him from both places. But she told a great story. And she's a wonderful storyteller. In fact, she just hasn't had a new record out of both. About a year or so ago, with a uh, with a New Orleans band, it, I, it's not coming to me right this minute. You could just Google Maria Muldoor, and I'm sure it'll come up. But she's told this great story, man. So they were everybody. Maria and another friend of hers. They always kind of seemed like surrogate mothers for Bob, because Bob was a little 21 year old guy new in town, and and he came over to Maria's apartment once, and and uh, he had cut a finger and so Maria goes so he needed a band-aid for his boo-boo uh -huh. and so they uh, they put it, the band-aid on his finger and he said oh I'd like to uh, play I just wrote this song and while they were sitting in their kitchen after they bandaged him up he played his new song with God on our side wow wow and and, and did the bandage did, <laughs> yeah. did, 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 <laughs> the, the playing my goodness <laughs> They, uh, I, I think that cured everything, but uh, <laughs> imagine hearing that song from, for the first time from the guy that wrote it. Oh. Uh, Paul, let's take a break here. Uh, Paul Metza joining us for this hour here. We're talking about, we're going to get to Jack Ruby and re-releasing -re that as well as other things as long as, as how, hey, Paul, how much time do you have? When do you need to be done here today? 
I can, we can go to the end of the show. I'd love to. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Paul Metzel. With the, oh, no, it's my pleasure. Dude, I could talk with you all day long about music, about... Do you know Target is selling wild rice that's not from Minnesota? Okay, I'll, I'll let that settle in for a second here. We'll get to that here maybe in a little bit as well. Uh, Paul Metzel joining us this hour. We'll, we'll talk about Jack Ruby. As a matter of fact, when we come back, we'll talk about that song when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Paul Metza, kind enough to join us today uh, as he is going to be re-releasing uh, his, uh, his, his song, Jack Ruby, in commemoration of the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK, which is hard to kind of even comprehend that, that date. It's, it's, it was 60 years ago uh, that happened. Uh, Paul, talk, let's talk about that right now. What prompted you to say, you know what, I want to re- revisit this song and re-release it for the 60th anniversary? Well, I, let's go back a little bit, if you don't mind, sure. and uh, tell the story about the genesis of the song. I was, uh, like a lot of people out there in the listening audience, Matt, I was seven years old uh, when, I, when I saw uh, Jack Ruby shoot Lee Harvey Oswald on television. Of course, we were all just in a just suspended grief from the assass- assassination of the president and then to, to and then uh you know it was wall-to-wall tv coverage uh of of the events and what was going on in dc and and the upcoming funeral and uh but as a young seven-year-old growing up on uh, uh the iron range in virginia minnesota it was the first time evil had the, the concept of evil had ever entered my life. So I was, you know, incredibly stunned uh, by it, as were millions of others. But really, in retrospect, it was almost the first reality television. Uh, over the years, uh, you know, I was a voracious reader when I was young. And uh, then the Warren Commission came out. And that's, uh, you know, they tried to solve that as the the be-all, end-all explanation that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was the only shooter and, and Jack Ruby then acted alone, as did Lee Harvey Oswald. And as I got older, I'd started to read books on it. Now, I was always kind of enchanted with the name Jack Ruby that just had a kind of a poetic sound to it. His real name was Jack Rubenstein, Chicago native. But that had always kind of stuck in the back of my mind that for something with such a dark period of American history that this guy could have a name that really was quite poetic. So I had read God, I don't know, by the time I I wrote this song, maybe 15, 20 books on it, the first book I read in the early 80s uh, that really got me down, there's no bigger rabbit hole when you go online now than the, uh, uh, the JFK assassination. But back then, all you had was books, the occasional radio show. Uh, but it was a book called uh, uh, Best Evidence by a, a fellow by the name of David Lifton. And David Lifton was a UCLA student and they, uh, upon watching the uh, horrific video of JFK being shot, he said, how can you be 
uh, thrown backwards if the bullet came from behind. Yep. So that was the first book that I really jumped into to start to study his uh, interpretation of the event and his questions. I read, like I said, a dozen or so more. Then in 1992, I read a, a newspaper article where Jack Ruby's brother was selling off some of Jack Ruby, Ruby's artifacts to pay off a tax lien, including his Kavanaugh hat. And at that moment, uh, to wherever, you know, uh, Leonard Cohen called it the, the Tower of Song, but these words came from the top floor of the Tower of Song, Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a Kavanaugh hat. Whoever taught you to shoot a pistol like that? You snuck in the basement and you stood in the back, Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a Kavanaugh hat. And it came to me as quickly as I just said it, and I wrote it down. And I said, here's the song called Jack Ruby. So I was up all night. Uh, I got, you know, probably started working at five in the afternoon and finished in at about nine the next morning. I put all my books on the floor. Uh, what I really wanted to do was, was study more about Jack Ruby. And so I was able to do that with, with the books I had had. I had one line, just one phrase of one of the verses, a 12-verse song that I needed... Uh, I needed to plug in, so I was uh, lucky enough to be very good friends with David Carr, who is one of the greatest journalists in American history. He was writing for the Twin Cities Reader at the time, went on to uh, for 10 years to write for the New York Times with their media column. And I called him up, and uh, I, I, I told him the line, and he said, uh, stock and trade, um, how President Smurley became your stock and trade. So I plugged that in, so I gotta give Carr a little credit for the song. But by about mid-morning, I had the whole song. Right around that time, my other good friend, Tom Arnold, who had since moved out to LA, with David Carr and Tom Arnold and I got to know each other in about 83 or 84. We were all kind of coming into our own. I was making a name for myself as a musician. Tom was making a name for himself as a comedian. David was making a name for himself as a journalist. And we all really hit it off. Uh, we used to hang out at a place downtown called McCready's Pub and got in a little trouble with each other at that place and uh, other other uh, nightclubs around the Twin Cities area. But we were always very supportive of each other's art. And so fast forward now, I'd written the song, first part of 1990. 92, and Tom Arnold and his then wife Roseanne Barr were uh, asked to MC Farm Aid 5 in Dallas, Texas. I had written a song, I put it out on a 45, uh, a 45 single, RPM single called Ferris Wheels on the Farm. Tom sent it to Willie Nelson. Uh, Willie probably rolled a joint on it. <laughs> I doubt if he even listened to the song. But because, uh, he, you know, Tom was doing the thing, he did it for a favor for Tom. So Tom, bless his heart, uh, uh, invited me down to play two songs, uh, flew me down, put me up, couldn't have been nicer. And so I got there the day before uh, the performance. Now, this was a hell of a show, Matt. Uh, headliners were Willie Nelson, Neil Young, John Mellencamp, Paul. 
Paul Simon, Leonard Skinnerd, Joe Walsh, uh, really a cast of thousands, a lot of great Texas musicians like my good friend Joe Ely and others. So we went there, my friend Tom Latimer and I went there the night before to check out the sound check. When I go into a, a new town, I always like to, if I can get into uh, the venue a night before, I'd like to get a feel for where the gig's going to be. We happened to be there in Texas Stadium during the sound check. And so we're just kind of hanging out in an empty stadium. And I'll never forget, Paul Simon was trying to teach Willie Nelson's Willie Nelson's band, The Boxer. And mm -hmm. I just read a thing yesterday, how many guitar players had to actually perform on that recording of The Boxer by Simon and Garfield, because it's a very complex tune. And at one point, uh, Paul just kind of, you know, threw his hands in there and said, it's not going to work. You know, Willie's band was great. They could follow Willie like rattle on a, you know, rattlesnake's uh, tail, but uh, not, it wasn't so easy following Paul Simon. Well, anyway, uh, that day I was supposed to play my song, Ferris Wheels on the Farm, and another song I'd written called Slow Justice. And I asked myself the question, that I've asked myself over the years when I get in these situations, and that is, what would Woody Guthrie do? And I said, yeah, I'm there. I'm supposed to sing Ferris Wheels on the Farm, but I have this hot new number called Jack Ruby. I'm probably within 10 miles of Dealey Plaza at that point. So I debuted Jack Ruby at Texas Stadium in front of about 20,000 unsuspecting Texans. Uh, you could track that performance down. Farmade put it up several years ago on YouTube. I, and then I also, I played my other song, Slow Justice, that I wrote in 1984 for the P9 strike in Austin, Texas. But I changed the line for that performance uh, to kind of uh, shadow what was going on in the news. And that line went, uh, someday those in Congress will have to swallow a bitter pill they believed Clarence Thomas, but I believed Anita Hill. So anyway, I was kind of Johnny on the spot with my protest songs that day. When I got done playing, I went backstage, took off my guitar, and we played earlier in the day. It was about a 10-hour show. Tom was nice enough to take our recorded performance and put it in the national broadcast uh, of Farm Aid that was on CMT uh, network that night. But when I got off stage, I walked by Willie's bus and Chris Christofferson got off and <laughs> there was plumes of smoke <laughs> coming off Willie's bus. I mean, you could, I literally got a contact eye just from watching that door open. But uh, Chris and Willie were watching the uh, broadcast on the TV in the bus. And Chris came out, uh, out to me personally and looked at me and he said, man, that was really good. He goes, I haven't heard songs like that in years. So that was just wow. one part of a really amazing afternoon. And then uh, to top it all off, we were sitting around and it was it was heavy duty. I mean, the performance, so, uh, so I can't remember what order it was, but Neil Young went out and played Southern Man and then Leonard Skinner uh, went out and played, what's their uh, uh, their Southern song? They name check Neil Young, Sweet Home Alabama. And so it was, you know, there was politics and revolution in the air. So we're hanging out afterwards in the green room and uh, 
Den and Dennis Hopper was one of the MCs, so we're hanging out with Dennis, and I gave him my CD, and and uh, I always carry my CDs around at gigs like that, or when I'm walking around New York City, because you never know who you're going to bump into. David Carr used to, when we'd go backstage at a concert in Minneapolis, he would always refer to, oh, Metzl just slimed the headliner again with, with one of his records. Uh -huh. But uh, So we're sitting there, Matt, and... Uh, who walks in but the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? And so they said uh, to myself and my buddy uh, Tom, they said, would you like a, the den mother of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders said, would you like a picture with the girls? <laughs> I said, oh yeah, we would definitely like a picture with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. So the picture from that day, uh, that was my Christmas card for the next year. Uh, to This may have a lot of... Um, uh, my feminist friends, and I consider myself a feminist, but it was kind of like Metzl with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. That's only going to happen one time in my life. But what was interesting about playing Jack Ruby for the Texas audience, my friend Tom took a picture of two Dallas cops looking up at the Jumbotron while I was playing, and you could tell by the looks on their face that said, what the hell does this Yankee think he's doing? Oh, yeah. But, Matt, I live... I live to tell the story. Well, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, that's that is gutsy because you have to remember that that's uh, you know they, they don't want Texas has got a very different mentality towards that <clears throat> what happened there than the rest of the country does. So bravo to you. Now, you know, okay, were you in the picture with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and Dennis Hopper? Was Dennis Hopper part of your Christmas card? No, he wasn't. Although I have a picture of Dennis and I, but uh, I'll uh, I will uh, I'll text the uh, photo of myself and the and the cheerleaders. It's nice. uh, they're d delightful dozen uh, Texas gals. They they could have been nicer. That's one of the greatest stories ever. So you you put out this is this was by the way is Farm Farm Aid Five and we and did you get a chance to speaking of Willie did you see Willie in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, broadcast uh, him getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Did you see any of that? I saw just a clip of it, and uh, anytime I've seen Willie, like when they did the 90th birthday party at the Hollywood Bowl, it's, I guess, coming out as a uh, special. You know, I have nothing but tears in my eyes when I see that guy. Now he sits on a stool. I did see him at, uh, uh, at Target Stadium about four years ago, and uh, his guitar player had passed away uh, Jody Payne. So Willie took most of the guitar solos. His sister Bobby was still playing, and it was a smaller band. But uh, I, I've seen Willie 15 times over the years. He's, he's like one of my biggest heroes. But when you see him now, uh, sitting on that stool at 90 years old, I can't help but tear up. I mean, I just love the guy. Oh, no, my dad was a huge fan. I grew up with Willie Nelson. You know, I watch him there and they, at the, at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They go through the Farm Aid and you don't realize how, you know, how, I mean, he was right from the beginning that this is, you're trying to wipe out the family farm and you realize at the end that all the good work that he and Mellencamp did on Farm Aid, you were at Farm Aid 5 in Dallas in 93, all these Farm Aids he did. It, you know, it was basically they were going against the stream, but they kept doing it because they believed in the family farmer. And if that's not the most American thing I've ever heard, I mean, being part of that, being part with all these people, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, you know, the cops in the stadium getting mad. I mean, it is just it is, you know, you're fighting for America here and you're fighting with a guitar as you do it. And, and, and you know, it's just it, it shows in the story you just told.
Well, it's Brownie McGee, uh, the blues player who played uh, for years with Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry. He's one of my huge heroes. I learned a lot. I stole a lot of Brownie's licks. He had uh, he had two great lines. One was, uh, my guitar is my weapon against the world. And his other great line is, uh, suits and ties, suits and ties—they just don't harmonize. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that could be my mentor right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never walk. You, you you never do your show with a suit and tie. No, oh, that's a fact. I look at Stein when he does it on Wednesday. I'm like, what are you doing, man? This is the, I got into this job because I could do t-shirts and shorts the entire year. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and, but uh, but I, you know, the one thing uh, uh, I'm. You know, I'm proud of what I've been able to do in my career. You know, I can't say I've I've grasped the brass ring, but I've touched it a few times, and um, it's I've I've really had, to, to, you know, I grew up really uh, influenced by folk and blues. I did my first New York City gig at Gertie's Folk City, where Dylan played his debut. And I've gotten to meet people like uh, Taj Mahal and John Hammond Jr. I met Bob Dylan at the uh, at the Artist Quarter in 1982, and uh, so I, you know, the Neville brothers. The list goes on and on that I've had the good fortune to play with. But speaking of Dylan and Farm Aid, Willie Nelson got the idea for Farm Aid because when Bob Dylan played Live Aid, he had mentioned, he goes, geez, why don't we do something like this for the American farmer? Mm -hmm. Willie watched the broadcast, and that's where Willie got the idea for Farm Aid. So we got to give Dylan some props on Farm Aid as well. Absolutely. I want to mention you're releasing a video here to go along with this uh, in conjunction with producer John McCalley. Talk a little bit about that. I've known John... Uh, for years. He's a great videographer, a great marketer. Uh, he's a photographer and uh, really has an artistic sense. And he approached me with the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination coming up. He offered to uh, partner with me and do a video uh, for my song, Jack Ruby. So he put it together. I did a lip sync from the Music Box Theater on 14th and Nicollet. And then he and his team put some great visuals together. You can, if all of both my live performance at Farm Aid and the uh, video is available at paulmetza.com. You can also just Google Paul Metza Jack Ruby and find it. Uh, but we just thought, uh, you know, I, I knew the 60th anniversary was coming up. So we uh, decided to re release it, which we did. We put out a National press release, we threw a few bucks at it about 10 days ago. It ended up on about 232 online news sites uh, across the country. And there's still, uh, uh, I was just on Almanac North up here in Duluth and WSDSV TV. And there's a couple of other interviews that are probably coming up uh, next week. But it was just um, uh, a, a good reason to get the song out there. And, you know, when I've been but not to make light of the assassination. Uh, it was my Huffington Post did an article on me years ago and called Jack Ruby the last great American folk song. I wrote it in the uh, kind of the style of the folk song, uh, John Hardy and John Henry. And uh, so I think the song has stood the, te uh, the test of time. I didn't point out anyone in particular but 
there's so many theories about who was behind the assassination. So I did name check uh, the CIA, what was going on besides the behind the grassy knoll, uh, happening in in uh, Texas County, the land of LBJ, and uh, or did the mob or oil money get in the way as as the lyrics go? There was an interesting book that just came out that uh, I just ordered called The Last Witness uh, by Paul Landis, who's 88 years old. He was a young 24-year-old Secret Service agent on, uh, on detail that day in Dealey Plaza. He found, and this was uh, under wraps for years until the book came out, he found a bullet that was behind JFK in the limousine uh, that he had put when they went to Parkland Hospital, he put the bullet on JFK's stretcher. Somehow that bullet ended up on John Conley's stretcher and that became the bullet that they referred to as the magic bullet that supposedly went through Kennedy and then went through Conley and then ended up basically untouched on Conley's uh, stretcher. So it once again raises uh, questions. It, it'll never be solved, but it is a, it's kind of been a, a bit of a lifelong fascination with me. There's a, a three-day event going on at Duquesne University in, uh, in Pittsburgh this week where a lot of the people are getting together, uh, various authors. I just spoke with a guy named Danny Singeroff who has a new book out called Jack Ruby, and uh, that's going to end up on my doorstep here in just a few days. So it's it's the, the continuing mystery wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery. And um, I was glad I was able to present my view in song kind of as a... Uh, what you, you know, it's kind of focusing in one-on-one. If you can do it, do it, you know? Well, and, and if I can say, you know, when you when you look back at the great, you know, someone like Woody Guthrie, who is singing about what he saw in America, here it is the same exact thing. You're singing about what you saw, and you're not about to basically, you know, in the case of playing in Dallas, you took the opportunity to sing it there as opposed to hide from singing it there. And that's, I think, why the, that song has now become, is, is considered one of the great American folk songs. It's good that you're releasing it, and I'm, I'm glad. I, I got two things here. First of all, I do want to thank you greatly for getting me in touch with Missy down in New Orleans because she was phenomenal, and uh, I owe you for that one, my friend, because she she drove us definitely in the right direction, so thank you for that. Yeah, and you know, she's also a DJ. Occasionally, uh, they live outside of Marine St. Croix, her and Camille, but she occasionally still DJs that she has for on WWOZ. I don't know if you got a chance to hear that wonderful radio station in New Orleans. I found but, it. Uh, I found the station. That's the station that's right down there uh, by the French Market. It's Exactly. Yeah. I found the station. I I almost went and knocked on the door and said, "Is Missy here?" I don't think I don't think they would appreciate that. I also want to put you on point right now. I'm going to have you back. We're going to do an hour with you over the holidays if we can, because we did it last year. It was an absolute great hour. Uh, this is it's it's these kind of stories that I I can't pass up. So you know, let me let's talk. Let's find out what time we can get in, record you, and we can do one of the brand new to you shows that we do over the holidays with you for an hour, if that's okay. Great. And then, you know, I've got my song Christmas at Molly's. So it's about that time of year to, to uh, re-spark that one and get it out there on the airways. But, man, it's always a pleasure. I can't believe we spoke for a whole hour and we didn't even 
say anything speak. about pasties. I didn't speak. You said you were good. I'm not going to get in the way. I was. I, I can talk about wild rice today. Here's the deal. Uh, when we we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, uh, Paul, we're going to play the full Jack Ruby for everyone out there to take us out on a Friday. Okay. Beautiful. Thanks, Paul Metz. Everybody. Uh, yeah, American legend. An absolute freaking American legend. An absolute freaking American legend. God, I, I just the I can't tell you how cool it is to get to sit and just chat with the guy and hear the stories because it's it's some of the best radio I'll ever do. I just I love talking with him. I love this. I just I love Paul Metzi. He's fantastic. Uh, Jack Ruby, look for the video. Go get the song. Uh, request it from your favorite radio station that plays music. But I'll tell you what. Today we'll play some music when we come on back. Jack Ruby, when we do return, it's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM nine fifty. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, is the Matt McNeil Show. A quick little reminder, we got Native Roots Radio, I'm Awake, that's coming up here in the 5 o'clock hour. Make sure you stick around for that. We are gone for the rest of the weekend. Have a fantastic weekend. To play us out on a Friday, it's Paul Metza, Jack Ruby, right here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Have a good weekend. Till next week. See ya. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, in a Whoever taught you to shoot a pistol like that? Oh, you snuck in the basement and you stood in the back. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, in a Kavanaugh hat. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, you were 15 years old. On the south side of Chicago, you looked up to Capone. Stole girls' lunch money, beat boys on the way home. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, you were 15 years old. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 21 Who oh, you treated brass knuckles for a caliber gun In the Sherman Hotel, bootleg whiskey did run Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 21 Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 35 Set up shop in Dallas, you had nothing to hide A nightclub of hookers in cops side by side Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 35. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby.